This episode of the Productivityist Podcast is brought to you by Front. If you're ready to transform your team's productivity with efficient email, then you need to give Front a try. You can get started with Front for just nine bucks per month. That's a steal considering what it can do for your email. I know I've been putting it through the paces myself, and I'm going to talk about that during this episode of the podcast, as well as give you the ability to go to a special link and start a free trial. So stick around. I'll talk about Front during this episode. You won't want to miss it. This episode of the Productivityist Podcast is also brought to you by Gantt Pro. Gantt Pro is an interactive online project management tool for people who love planning with timelines and Gantt charts. And I've been using Gantt Pro to work on some big projects. I'm going to share how I'm using it a little later on during this episode, as well as give you the ability to save $50 off when you sign up for Gantt Pro. So stick around. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, I'm joined by Chad Barger. Chad is a fundraising coach, productivity guru, and vlogger. He teaches charities how to optimize their fundraising so they can focus on changing the world. He's the founder and managing director of the firm Productive Fundraising, which focuses on implementing simple, effective fundraising systems, as well as strategies to strengthen nonprofit boards of directors. Now, I've never talked to anybody about productive fundraising before and the idea of how you can merge productivity and raising funds uh, together. Uh, so this is going to be a really compelling episode for for me to just kind of listen to and, and, and kind of reflect upon. Because, you know, when I'm doing the interview, sometimes, you know, there's some stuff, not new, not things that get missed outright, but, you know, I like to listen back and go, oh, you know what, that that makes sense. And I'm glad you can apply these productivity principles to what you do, especially when it comes to fundraising. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So let's just get right to it. Here's my conversation with Chad Barger here on the Productivityist Podcast. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Chad Barger to the Productivityist Podcast. Chad, thanks for joining me today. Hey there, Mike. It's great to be on. I feel like we had an entire podcast episode just before this, talking there about was some good chat. Yeah, good, good chat. Not not necessarily productive in the traditional sense, but I think very productive in in creating a connection. You know, I mean, we've 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 uh, spoken online back and forth via texting and social media and all that stuff over the over the years. But this is the first time we've actually had a conversation. Yeah, and no, it was great to connect, and uh, all the things we've been razzing each other about online uh, could could do that in person. We had a little AFC North football chat there, which was uh, which was good. And, and you know, I was just thinking before we hopped on, I think you were actually the uh, first podcast I ever subscribed to. So wow, I was yeah, I was a little late to the uh, to the podcast game, but I've always been a huge productivity geek, and uh, somehow I, I think you you brought me over, and now I have way too many to listen to. So. <laughs> Um, thank you, and I hate you. So. <laughs> I think that's normally the way it goes. It's, it's a, there really is an embarrassment of riches when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, and one of the things that uh, that you can do when when you're talking about productivity is you can attach to so many different areas and niches uh, in your life. And you've done that with with fundraising, right? Which is which is something that you know you see a lot of um, you know uh, the GoFundMe campaigns, and then of course when it comes to personal fundraising for a particular. Uh, let's say initiatives and issues, and then you've got uh, fundraising of another type, which is you know Kickstarter and even Patreon to a point is is a le- is some element of fundraising. Can you dive into what what you bring to the table with with productive fundraising and where your your area of focus is in particular? 
Sure thing. Um, yeah, I'm a fundraiser. That's all I've ever done. I was um, a business major in college and I got spun to the nonprofit sector and I just went right in there and I've been doing fundraising work, uh, higher ed, museums and community based organizations, a lot of work in the arts. Um, and in the last few years, I transitioned more to a consultant role. And um, I just find so often that a group wants me to come in and help them fundraise better. And I get in there and I can't even begin to do that just because the systems and frameworks really aren't in place to allow them to add anything else to the plate. Um, so often, you know, I always joke that in the nonprofit space and, and fundraising space, staffing is so lean um, that everybody has these massive job descriptions. And for some reason, it's always number nine. Number nine is always other duties as assigned. Mm. And that's usually like 40% of their job. Yeah, so mis just, miscellaneous. <laughs> yeah. They're just pulled in so many directions. Like, oh, the guy at the front desk called off today. Oh, that's me. Here I go. Um, and so I get in there and like we're ready to dig into the fundraising. And I quickly figure out that, oh, we need to take a couple steps back here because they don't even have a framework or, you know, um, simple, you know, calendaring and to-do list and all those basic tools that productivity nerds like you and me really, uh, really take for granted and and are constantly reading up on. A lot of it's like new material sometimes. Um, so I find myself often uh, as kind of a productivity coach and and sending them the proper resources that way before we can even dig into what I'm really there to do. So let's let's dive into a little bit about that that lean component that you talked about because I mean I used to work for. Before I really like my last quote real job, I guess you could say, was working for an arts organization that was actually a charitable organization. We had a charitable tax number here in Canada and everything. We actually ran a uh, fundraising initiative that was a uh, a cocktail festival, and all the money from that festival would go towards the the film festival. So the, I mean, there was a way to kind of. Uh, you know, take two passions that uh, the, the leader of the organization had and combine them so that we could raise funds so we could bring, you know, these these uh, th these films that may not have been able to be seen in Victoria to Victoria. Um, but that we were a really lean team and, and we had to really work in a way that like almost seasonally, right? Where, okay, it's festival season. Now it's fundraising season. Now it's, uh, you know, grant season, you know, like there's all these different things. How do you help organizations that are clearly other than obviously the, you know, jobs as assigned, because that's definitely <laughs> something that, how do you help organizations uh, that are kind of um, not, not saddled, but, but kind of, uh, traditionally put in a position where they have maybe a small team and they need to make sure that their efforts are concentrated so that they can maximize the time period where fundraising is is going to be at its peak. Right. And I think you nailed it right there. There There is a season where we can focus on fundraising. So oftentimes just figuring out when that is, you know, when's where's the margin? Where is the light period where we're not doing this massive event? Uh, we don't have all these year end things to do. Um, there's not all these other things going on in our community and we're involved with. Where are the gaps? Um, and then really focusing and getting some targeted things we can do in that short period of time. So often, like I find they do the same thing every year, but every year it comes around and they're throwing their hands up in the air saying, oh, we're stressed. How do we do this? Because they didn't actually document what they did the year before. Um, so, you know, simple things like checklists and procedures on this is how we do this um, are, are often 
something we have to step back and kind of get that done. Then there's that margin that, okay, maybe we can talk about getting out and meeting with donors and building relationships and taking a closer look at our, you know, appeals or our recurring giving and, and those pieces. But it's just finding that room to do it is always the first challenge. What led you down this path? Because that seems, I mean, having worked in that sector, uh, the the rewards are great, but the the, the getting there can be really, you know, it, the journey is what can be taxing. So what, first off, what led you down this path of, you know, fundraising? Secondly, you know, to that effect, what made you go, hey, you know what, I can apply these productivity practices that I've become passionate about towards that kind of, uh, that, that, that calling that you have? Yeah, sure thing. I, I mean, I've always had this side of me, this um, kind of giving back component. Uh, I was really into volunteering in high school. Um, it wasn't really preached by my family, but, you know, we did what we could. Um, but then in college, um, I actually had an opportunity to be a uh, part-time AmeriCorps per, um, member uh, while I was a full-time college student. So uh, AmeriCorps was kind of Clinton's uh, invention. It was like the domestic Peace Corps, still around in some form, but not as thriving as it once was. But basically, you know, I was a full-time student with a full, more than a full uh, course load um, on scholarship. So I had to keep my grades up. And then on the weekends, I was coordinating community service trips. Um, you know, I was in Western Pennsylvania, so down to Pittsburgh and other areas for like 20 other students. And then on breaks, we flew all over the world um, and did the same thing. I actually took a couple groups to uh, Baton Rouge and New Orleans pre-Katrina to do disaster prevention work. So I don't think anything we did actually helped, but, you know, they they knew it was coming and we were trying. So I just got the bug there and I knew I wanted... Uh, to work in nonprofit land after graduation. And where were the jobs? Fundraising. So uh, it was kind of a, you know, learning uh, on your feet. I started in higher ed. Um, but the productivity side kind of comes in there too, in that I've always had like two full time responsibilities that I'm trying to cram into one life. Um, so in college, it was the, uh, the college student and the AmeriCorps member. Um, even back to high school, I was a uh, college prep student and I was in a highly competitive marching band that had a ridiculous practice schedule. Um, so I think I actually read uh, GTD for the first time in, in high school or, or shortly thereafter. Um, and then ever since, you know, I started my first job and I got married within two weeks. And more recently, I'm starting uh, my own business and I got two uh, young boys running around. So it's just always that need to, to make the most of my time and kind of just restore sanity. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. 
Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the show now to talk about one of the sponsors for this episode, which is Front. Let's face it, you know, all the forwards that you get, all the copies and blind carbon copies, all they're doing is adding cruft and chaos to your inbox, which has already got enough going on in there. And and there's also a lack of accountability, which can lead to missed messages, which I'm sure has happened to you, uh, balls being dropped and, and just things falling through the cracks and even redundancies that don't need to be there at all. Um, there are... There are some team chat and, and, and project management tools that can handle some of that. But when you're getting external emails from outside organizations, it, it's kind of it, it can get a bit muddy. And that's where Front comes into play, because Front really is reinventing email. I've kind of called it email evolved. Um, and it's inventing it, uh, reinventing it rather in a way that that will help teams work better. And, and it's helping us here with my team. Uh, you know, the new workflows and cl- you know, the effective collaboration that Front offers because of the fact that all of the communication channels are in one place um, is is hugely impactful. And you can add tons of different inboxes to Front as well. Let, let's, let's go through some of the ones that I have. I have all three of my email addresses that I use personally uh, for work and personally um, for, uh, f- for email. They're all in Front. I also have Twitter DMs. I also have my Facebook uh, in there as well. If you need to loop a calling into an email, this is where Front really comes into play. You can you can just mention them in a thread if they're they're connected with Front. You can also have, by the way, uh, and we've done this, all of the inboxes, the email addresses that any of us could check. So let's say uh, we're using uh, we have some sales stuff that that needs to be dealt with. If my assistant looks at it and says, "Oh, this is something that's kind of above my pay grade," I'm going to send this to Mike. She can assign it to me and then put in the in the in the thread in the conversation thread, which is completely separate from the email. Hey, Mike, you might want to take a look at this and either give me some instruction as to what to do, or you can handle it. Um, there's a lot of great things that Front offers. I, you, I could be here for much longer describing them, but instead, I want you to go check them out for yourself. If you go to frontapp.com/timecrafting, you can start your free trial today, and I encourage you to do so. There's so much that Front offers, and I've not been this excited about an email app in a really long time because it's more than an email app; it's so much more. So, if you're ready to transform your team's productivity with efficient email and more, and just bridge that gap between communication and all of the other tools you might be using, and, and create better accountability and and just a greater sense of flow and less friction with Within your team, give Front a try. Again, go to frontapp.com slash timecrafting and start your free trial today. I'd like to thank Front for sponsoring this episode of the Productivity is Podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Let's talk a little bit about, um, and we talked a little bit about this uh, 
with with another guest recently about expectations. Roger Carroll, actually. So it's not that recent, but we talked about patience and expectations. And that's the theme that's come up with me, uh, you know, as I've built my business is, you know, you jump into something like this. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you see all the success other people have and you see, you know, whether it's cash flow coming in or whether it's just accolades of any sort. And I was actually reading an interview, uh, with, uh, about Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones did this interview with Vulture magazine. I'll link to it in the show notes where he talks about this idea of, you know, um, when, uh, I think his quote is when, uh, when you, when you pursue money, God leaves the room. Like if you're doing it just for the money, God leaves the room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm not a religious person per se, but there's something about that. And, and Seth Godin talks about this too. You know, if you do it, you know, do it for doing it and the money will come, that kind of thing. Um, what are your thoughts on patience and expectations, not just in, in the field you're in, because I think you have to obviously in, in your area, you probably have to keep them, the, the people you're working with. Um, you know, primed and 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 upbeat about things because often you're probably asking for you're you're reaching for this goal and sometimes you're getting you know uh, meager responses or you're getting just flat out no's. Um, and then how do you do that with your own work? I mean, because I know that you probably not just within an organization but outside of it, you're like, hey, you know, I want to help as many people as possible, but there's it's just me or it's just me and my my team doing this. So can you can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, I think you, you touched on there, the motivation piece, um, with this, you know, it's, it's not always easy work. Um, you know, motivating, you're essentially trying to motivate people to give you money in order to achieve some goal that may or may not happen. They're not buying a widget. Um, you know, it's a little harder. So you're oftentimes selling a story and a dream, um, and no's are a big reality. And uh, you can't let that get to you. Uh, the big saying is no doesn't mean no. No means not now or, or something's not right. So I do find a lot of the time with my coaching clients, you know, half of it can be almost like a counselor role where we're just talking about what happened and, and motivation and how we're going to move forward. Um, so it wasn't exactly something I was expecting. But, you know, as I got into it, I thought, you know, yeah, even in my time, that, that was something I needed at some point. Um, just somebody, especially for small groups, they don't have that, you know, other colleague down the hall. They can just knock on their door and say, hey, this just happened. Can we talk about it? Um, so um, having that that ability is great. Um, expectations, you know, um, and especially looking at my my business. I mean, the the easy money um, and, and what many of the big fundraising consultants do are these feasibility studies for capital campaigns where, you know, we're going to raise five million dollars to build this piece and uh, we're going to bring somebody in to study this and see if it's possible. Um, that's that's the piece where probably the biggest bucks are. But that's not what charges me up. Um, I've always spent my time in small community based groups, and that's where I know I can help the most. Um, so it, to me, it's more about the impact and leveraging myself to, um, you know, not just raise money for what I care about, which I've done for the last 20 years, but to leverage those skills to let other people raise money for what they care about and see that that growth and, and more impact than I could have otherwise on my own. That's what it's about for me. Um, but yeah, and my biggest challenge lately is just you know, there, there's only so much Chad I can sell and, um, you know, leveraging that and, and trying to have some more passive, um, passive income and, and group 
opportunities. Um, it's kind of the direction I've been going. Thanks to listening to, uh, you know, great people like you and, and the other many podcasters I listen to. So, um, launched some intensive programs recently. Um, there's kind of a gap in the fundraising training where you can go to a conference and learn everything you should know and, and take that back and do it. Or you can bring someone in to kind of do it for you, maybe teach you along the way. But there's not kind of this, all right, I'm going to learn and then I'm going to apply it. And then somebody's going to work with me to make sure it's right and, um, and kind of go step by step and, and have some one on one time. So that's kind of the niche I'm I'm narrowing in on. Actually, let's let's unpack that a little bit more. Sure. And I don't want to bring it back to what you talked about earlier about filling in the gaps, you know, filling in these. Um, how how attuned are you to finding gaps in, in processes that people have in place, whether it's yourself. And I think you have to start there. And then when you go into an organization and you're looking at them and, and you're saying, Hey, you know what? The, there here's here, like, here's something that I notice, And maybe what the common gaps that you find are like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you and, and you're like, this is the one that I keep, seem to see over and over again. Before we jumped on, we talked about how you almost don't even take for granted the fact that you, when you start with an organization, that you're going to be going in and syst- adding some systems and frameworks so that, you know, you could future-proof the process. So can you give some examples of gaps that you found or how you can ident- how you've been able to identify those gaps throughout, you know, throughout your career, uh, you know, in the fundraising realm? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there are definitely common common gaps. Um, the biggest one is, you know, I'm brought in because we we can't seem to grow our revenue. Um, you know, the same thing happens. We need to innovate. Um, our donors don't respond to anything, and then I get in there, and they really just haven't been communicating with their donors or not communicating well. Uh, they don't have a stewardship or, or communications plan in there that says thank you. So, you know, if somebody makes a donation, they send the required thank you letter that the IRS or taxing authority makes them send, and then they don't talk to them until they're ready to solicit again. So the donor says, well, the only thing, only time you ever, I ever hear from you is when you want money, and they don't mm. build that relationship. Um, so there's actually a, a, a great, huge national study, um, actually by a Canadian, uh, Penelope Burke, um, who found that donors need to hear from a charity seven times to say thank you or some kind of communication before they're ready to be solicited again, or else they say that you only ever talk to me when you want money line. Um, so putting in that system, like, what are your seven touches? How are you going to do that? Let's get an editorial. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Calendar, a framework, a system to make sure that happens, and then it happens every year. We don't have to rebuild it again. Uh, the other one I really find 
um, especially with fundraising events. Um, you know, you mentioned the cocktails event you're involved, you were involved with, but every charity, every nonprofit has, you know, one or two big events and they just don't innovate them. They're just the same thing every year. And what happens when we don't innovate? You know, that law of diminishing returns kicks mm -hmm. in where eventually it gets stale. And uh, I, I hear it so often, but I'll be in, you know, kind of facilitating a discussion or something. And there's a committee member that says, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or we've always done it that way. Right. Uh, and that that really lives um, in nonprofit land. So it's just kind of fighting that and, and trying to put in some innovation frameworks is, is always a, a challenge and definitely needed everywhere. OK, we're going to take another break from the show to talk about our other sponsor, Gantt Pro. Now, Gantt charts are something that project managers absolutely love. And it's something that took me a while to get into because, you know, I'm, I'm much more of a person who likes to have, you know, either the, the, the board style that I've used before and Trello and Asana has that now as well. But I also like my list based stuff. But when it comes to, you know, kind of the idea of things that can be done in parallel or sequentially, and when it comes to adding more teams to the mix, like I've done with my graphic designer, when it comes to the book I'm working on and other things are like a website, like we're revamping the website. Sometimes, you know, having a Gantt chart, in fact, I'd say most times, it's a more effective way to do it because you can kind of see the broad spectrum and, and, and the entire project and where things are at. And Gantt Pro is is really, I think, the best tool when it comes to working with Gantt charts. Now, here's the thing. Gantt Pro started as a project of an outsourcing software development team. The team had planned more than 500 projects for their clients and they knew how challenging project management could be. So what they did was they combined their experience with feedback from early users to offer a solution that integrated essential project management tools with maximum ease of use. And voila, Gantt Pro was born. They've created their own online Gantt chart software, Gantt Pro, that has allowed everyone to build comprehensive project plans in just a few minutes. Um, there's templates and all that stuff, which makes it so easy. And as a result, I've been able to effectively collaborate with team members on these projects and set accurate estimates and track the progress of projects, which frankly, some of the other tools that I've been using, they, they just couldn't do as well. It offers a simple user interface with drag and drop simplicity, which is, you know, again, any kind of friction to something new that you haven't tried before is always going to be a barrier to entry. The drag and drop interface has been one of the things that allowed me to get right into Gantt charts via Gantt Pro. You can create your first project in seven minutes, and there's an onboarding process and the learning curve that they offer, and it's really, really short. Uh, again, I can't stress enough how easy it was for me to get started with Gantt Pro, and it's a great fit for project managers and their teams. See, project managers love simple planning and other great features kind of like workload and tasks assignment, deadlines, critical paths and baseline. But teams also love it because they can use it for online cooperation, things like leaving comments, attaching files, sending notifications, and again, tracking progress and, and getting status updates. And Gantt Pro is a perfect value for the price. So much so that I'm going to give you even greater value for the price. Just head over to gantpro.com slash go slash timecrafting, and you'll get $50 off when you sign up for Gantt Pro. So again, that's Gantt Pro, G-A-N-T-T, pro.com slash go slash timecrafting, and you'll get $50 off when you sign up for Gantt Pro. I'd like to thank Gantt Pro for sponsoring this episode of the Productivityist Podcast. Now let's get back to the show. 
let's talk about you and your processes, because when you're dealing with not only, um, you know, the realm that you're in, but several different organizations within that realm, you know, uh, you've, you've got one client that's over here, one client that's, and their needs are different and their targets are different and their, and their, uh, maturity, uh, the organization's maturity levels are different. Um, scale, scope, all that stuff. How do you structure your time to allow you to put your best foot forward in, with with your work both both not just in your work but you also got two kids and stuff like that so you've got to be able to have some some harmony between that so how do you how do you kind of what are some of the tactics that you put in place to structure your 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 intentions and attention so that way you can truly be productive not just in fundraising but in just living a a healthy a healthy (laughs) harmonious life yeah yeah and thank you for the harmony term there i'm i'm a big fan of harmony over balance and i know you've talked on it before i i do the same thing um, but yeah, that's the key. How do you maintain that harmony? It's, it's okay if something needs more time now, the other things will need more later. Um, so I've tried, you know, everything in the book, um, all forms, you know, I, I'm a big fan of time blocking and, and time crafting as you certainly profess, but rigid time blocking does not work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just because client needs change so much from week to week or I'm bringing somebody new on. Um, so I've tried horizontal theming. I've tried vertical. Um, I can do a little bit of vertical and that usually my Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, those are days where my house is quiet. So I try to be home, try to do big project work, any kind of filming, um, video work I need to do tends to go on those days, but I can't always make that happen. Right. Um, so what I like to do, um, I call it placeholder time blocking, where I basically have um, recurring items on my calendar that so, okay, it's client one work block where I'm going to work on projects there, or it's video time, or it's calls, or things like going for a walk, you know, things I need to do for myself. Um, and they are set on a set day of the week recurring, but I can move them around. Um, and then once I see that a day has no more available time, I code it as full on my calendar and then like my call scheduler and everything else is blocked out. Um, so that seems to work for me that I know everything is accounted for. I just don't know when I'm going to be able to do it until I see where the other pieces fall in. But I have that capacity to shut it off and say, okay, nothing more this day. It's full enough. I need a little bit of margin in case something crazy comes up. So basically one of the things that like, and actually let's, let's, uh, what I love about that kind of strategy is that there's some fluidity and flexibility to it. So you've, you've kind of, what you're doing is those things are basically attention blocks, right? They're like, Hey, okay, these, these are like, you've got these intentional actions and they're categories. They're more categories than actions, which, which I think, and this is one of the things that I know I've spoken to. And, um, you know, uh, the idea of, of time blocking or time chunking or what, you know, and even, even when I talk about theming your time, the idea is that you need to give yourself broad enough of a spectrum so that things can fit inside of it. Because if you're too, I've, I've talked about like the Goldilocks effect, right? Like if it's too hard, then, uh, it's too rigid and these things are too narrow in scope, which means like, let's say it's, you're going to uh, focus on not video, but like, I'm going to focus on, um, my my uh, YouTube. Well, that's that narrows it. Now, could that be? Is that too narrow? It might be because what if you don't have the right camera with you, or what if circumstances dictate? But a video is broad enough. 
that could fit. But by the same token, if it's too broad, if you say I'm going to do communications, well, that's pretty darn broad. Like, how are you going to, so it doesn't give you, which is like too soft. So what are you going to do about, uh, you know, when you're trying to make decisions around things, there's still too many things to look at, which means your intentions can get lost in the, in the shuffle. But if you say, you know, I'm going to focus on like a client and, and I think the thing is too, is when I work with people and I, and I don't know if you do this when you're blocking it, but I'll say like, don't say the name of the client, call it like nope. client a, right? Yep. Because client, client one, one through 15. And then right. I have a separate board that tells me who that is. Yep. Right. Because client one might not be client one forever. Right. right. So you codify it. So that way, not only, and sometimes that helps with just privacy stuff, but, but also it's because, and I'd work with, there's a, actually a client group that I'm working with right now where I say, don't call it like, you know, project X, call it like major project because this month's major project won't be the same as next month's. It's, you know, so I think that if you give that, that element of flexibility and fluidity in there without it being too broad right. or too narrow, uh, you know, the just right Goldilocks kind of effect, then you're, then you're putting yourself in a position to win. Whereas if you were to like, and, and you, you've seen this, you've, you've read about it, you've heard about it. The idea of I schedule every moment of the day. If it, it if what mm-hmm. doesn't get scheduled, doesn't get done. It, it's, it's all personal. How are you going to schedule it? So it gets done. If it's too, if it's like I work on email from nine 30 to 10, but then something happens between nine 30 and 10, all of a sudden, Two things happen. One, regret shows up and possibly shame, right, if it happens consistently. But number two, your brain goes, well, see, this doesn't work. And you throw out everything. You're like, well, you know, clearly, you know, this doesn't work because of X. So does that happen with you? I want to shift this too. Does that happen when something doesn't go right when when you're working with clients in terms of fundraising? Like you try something, you talk about innovation, and it's something doesn't work. You test it or it doesn't work as well as you thought. Uh, how do you keep people from going back to, like you said, the, the old habits, the old, well, let's just do the old, you know, door to door or whatever, instead of doing something innovative? How do you keep them from regressing into those, you know, the comfortable old shoe, as opposed to, you know, trying out new ones and putting a bit of miles on those before they say, okay, you know what, either this isn't going to work or, oh, look, we found the right avenue for this to work. With the innovation, you know, that can easily happen. You know, we try one thing, you know, even if it works somewhere else, they're a completely different organization with a completely different donor base. You know, best practice is only best practice uh, right. until we apply it. Um, I love the the old adage, if, if you've seen one nonprofit, you've seen one nonprofit. So, um, yeah, it does happen. Um, I, I think my biggest way there is that, yes, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching, but when we're really trying to drive organizational change, it's never just one-on-one. Right. There's always a team, a group. Um, and if I can, I always try to have it be that organization's board of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting that team, getting them all engaged and all part of the process. Um, so we had some training. Um, you know, they're understanding the need for innovation, and then they're a part of it, too. They helped come up with the ideas. So then when one thing doesn't work, you know, there's a group of people that can quiet down that, oh, we should have done, should have did what we always have done. You know, that that person. Right. Uh, you can say, no, remember, Chad came in and showed us how, you know, this might take some effort, might take some time. So I, I almost build allies in the uh, the innovation process while I'm doing that. Before we wrap up, I just want to uh, touch on, you know, what's next for you? Like you talked earlier about things that you're trying to scale and scope. I think were two of the, the things that came through what you're trying to, you were a bit more specific than that. But what, what do you see 
in terms of what you're doing, where, where you're headed, as well as maybe the future of fundraising that's going to make it more productive. And when I say productive, I mean, you know what I mean by that. But like the idea of here's here's our intention. We want to raise X or we want to draw awareness to X. And here's how we're going to pay attention to it. Yeah, for me, you know, I just I have so many amazing ideas and, you know, there's only so much me and mm-hmm. just forcing myself to, to focus and narrow to know we're going to do this first and we do that. And I find that, you know, every so often I have to just take that step back and right. really refocus. Yesterday was a perfect example. I had my mornings slated out with, you know, my time blocks that uh, I was planning to work on. And I was just in this haze and said, oh, my God, I, I just can't even why am I even doing this? Is this the right thing? So I shuffled. I spent my first half hour. I shuffled things and I gave myself a two hour block and I went out, got a cup of coffee, sat down with my Moleskine notebook and just kind of hashed things out for, um, you know, two hours and really got some clarity. And I find I need to do that more often than I used to. Um, and just being able to give yourself that flexibility to do that when you need. If you can't put your best self forward and you can find a way to make that happen, then then give yourself that clarity. So today, you know, I'm on it. I know exactly where I'm going the rest of the year. Um, in those two hours, I even started getting into 2019 planning. Um, that wasn't what my plan was, but right. I just got in that mode and um, it was great. So giving myself the freedom to do that is definitely key. Um, as far as fundraising and where we're going there, um, I think we're finally starting to see some headway on donor retention. Um, this has been the, the biggest challenge in that almost all charities and nonprofits, they're so focused on getting new donors that they forget about the ones they already have. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, they just send them the generic letter and don't communicate. Um, so in the U.S., the average donor retention rate is 45%. So most charities only keep 45% of their donors from year to year. So, you know, they lose over half their donors every year. Um, So getting the focus on that and uh, taking time to do what is actually the more fun work of just saying thank you and I appreciate you and and here's what your support has meant to us um, is is starting to resonate a little bit. And even the small things, right? Like the things that you don't think about, like sending off thank you notes that are personally signed as opposed to, Oh my gosh, the the handwritten thank you note is like the greatest fundraising tool, uh, right next to the, uh, the personal thank you call from a board member. Just, uh, just wanted to thank you for your gift. You know, that doesn't happen. And do you, so when you're, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up with this is do you, with those kind of strategies, those simple things that don't seem like they mean a lot or people go, oh, you know, I don't have time for that. We have more. How, how do you get people on board to do those small things that, that may on their face seem like, oh, these are kind of innocuous, but then ultimately they're the things that make, make, you know, donors go, wow, you know, they took the time to call me or send this note or whatever. Yep. It's first, you have to show them the importance, make them realize it. And then once they're on board, it's uh, frameworks, systems and habits that really do it. You know, time blocking for a lot of it. I'm going to time block my donor thank you calls. It's a great 4 p.m. Friday task when you're tired and burn out of everything else. You have great conversations. Um, And I'll close with my 
my great thank you tip is that you know everybody, um, even folks in the for-profit sector, like sales, business development people, sending a uh, handwritten thank you note after a meeting, huge impact. Um, I've had times where I go back a year later and meet with somebody, and my handwritten thank you note is tacked on their bulletin board. How much impact was that? They stared at my note every single day for the last year. But actually getting that to happen can be a challenge because there's so many other things to do. So I actually, I have notes with me constantly. I have, they're pre-stamped, they're ready to go. So when I get to a meeting, I'll be sitting in my car, I get it out, I pre-address it, and I sit it right on my passenger seat with my pen. Then after my meeting, I come back into the car, I scribble out my three sentence thank you note, close it up, and on the way into my home or office, it's in the mailbox. It's on autopilot. I don't even have to think about it. It's a habit. That's great. That's awesome. And that's a great way to end. Chad, where can people learn more about you and your work? Sure thing. Uh, ProductiveFundraising.com is uh, my business site, and I'm on all the socials at Fundraiser Chad. Awesome. Chad, thanks for joining me today on the Productivities Podcast. Thank you, Mike. And there you have it. Big thanks to Chad for joining me on the show today. All of the relevant takeaways and links will be listed in the show notes. And again, if you want to check out the show notes directly on the website, go to productivityist.com slash podcast 248. And that'll give you everything you need to know about this episode. You can also listen to the episode directly there as well. And you can share it too, which is great because you can do that in social media. You can do that with friends that you think might be interested in the episode, colleagues. And if you're enjoying the podcast and you've enjoyed this episode in particular, a rating and review would be really, really helpful. Uh, the more ratings and reviews we get, the more we can evaluate what we're doing. And we can say, hey, do we, what do we need to make better? What would you like to see more of? That feedback is so important. So please leave a rating and or review, preferably both, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And to ensure that you don't miss a single episode, be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to podcasts. And just know that if you go to the website, you'll be able to find the podcast every single week, productivityist.com. But again, if you don't want to have to actively do that, you want to passively have the podcast come your way, subscribing is the easiest way to do that. We've got so many great episodes coming down the pike, as well as a, just a, a absolute plethora of great episodes that are in the archives that you'll be able to see when you subscribe to the show. So again, thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. And if you could leave a rating and review and subscribe to the show, I'd love it if you could make that happen. Big thanks to John Polster for producing the show, as always, and big thanks to Connie for putting the show notes together. Also, big thanks to our sponsors for this episode. First up, Front. Front is absolutely amazing. I'm a huge fan of them. If you want to check out Front for free, start that free 30-day trial. Go to frontapp.com slash timecrafting, and you can make that happen. So again, I encourage you to, to give Front a try. Again, frontapp.com slash timecrafting. I'd also like to thank Gantt Pro for sponsoring this episode. And if you want to get $50 off when you sign up for Gantt Pro and finally get Gantt charts or get the gateway to Gantt charts that you've been looking for, then head over to gantpro.com slash go slash timecrafting. That's G A N ttpro.com slash go slash timecrafting, and you'll get $50 off when you sign up for Gantt Pro. So again, big thanks to the sponsors for sponsoring this episode of the show. Finally, thanks to you for listening. Thanks so much. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to spend time with me and the guests that I have on the show each and every week. That's it for now. 
Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivityist podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. I'll see you later.